Lord, we just come to you. We thank you for the opportunity to meet together. We thank you for the, your word. We ask you to guide and lead in our study as we look at the book of James and, and see what you would have us to see from this. We just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. James chapter 5, starting at verse 9. Grudge not one against another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge stands before the door. Take my brother the prophets who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering, affliction, and patience. Behold, we count them happy which endure. We have, you have heard of the patience of Job and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and tender mercy. So we're going to stop there because we're going to look at this. Uh, Grudge not one against another. And this word actually is the idea of wailing and moaning and sighing and we've if you've ever been around long enough you know the type of people who they may not say something directly against somebody but they're just moaning and groaning about what they're suffering and who's and usually will drop the name of who's you know who's making them suffer and and he's and James is saying don't do that <laughs> Don't be making that person look bad in other people's eyes, you know, or making yourself, you know, even at this, it would be the idea of just crying and moaning. I'm so poor, you know, things are go so bad against me and all, everything's going wrong. And there's many people who will do this kind of stuff, you know, they'll just kind of, oh, woe is me, you know, everything is wrong. <laughs> and James is saying, don't do that. He goes, and if it's one against somebody, he's saying, there's a judge at the door. God's at the door who's the judge. Because how many times do we say these little things that are designed just to make that other person look bad? We don't quite say anything really bad about them, but, you know, it could be something of, well, I just met, the, you know, I just met Jake and, you know, he just, you know, said something to me and I'm, I'm doing really bad. You know, you don't even necessarily say what it was, but all of a sudden this person <laughs> is looking bad in everybody's eyes. Like, what did they say? You know, and there's this, this, this curiosity that's being developed. And James is saying, don't do this. And he's using as an example, he says, take my brethren, the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord for an, for an example of suffering, affliction and patience. And we look at this, if you study the prophets and see how they were treated, we had this idea that the Jews kind of treated their prophets with respect and honor. And for many of them, they did. But we look at somebody like Jeremiah, who kept getting thrown into a pit every time he got turned around and get thrown into jail every time he turned around because he was, he was preaching to a king who was evil. And he didn't like the words that Jeremiah kept bringing to him from God and kept throwing him into prison and pits and all these other things. And at one point, uh, you know, Jeremiah goes, I'm not going to say anything more for you, God. And then the next thing he says, the words burned in my mouth and I couldn't but speak. We read in, the, in Hebrews that Isaiah was sawn in half, stuck into a, tr a tree trunk and sawn in half because the king got tired of hearing his his predictions against him. So we see over and over these prophets were not always well liked. Uh, you have e Elisha uh, speaking against the king that was evil. You had Elijah speaking against a king who was evil and always being sought by the king. 
So we have this situation that God's prophets are not always held up to a high standard. And sometimes this is true even of a pastor who has to speak hard things to his church. Sometimes people don't like it when they, those hard messages come and will criticize the pastor because he has to speak something that God puts on his heart saying, we've got to correct this part of our, our life. And so he's saying, there's a judge at the door, but take these people, how they endure with patience. And this is very important. When we are suffering something for God, we need to endure with patience because God is letting it happen. And, he, and his example that he brings up here is, you know, think about Job. You know, behold, we count them happy which endure. You have heard of the patience of Job. And it's kind of an interesting statement. We count them or we pronounce them blessed who endure uh, these things. And why is that true? Because we grow from these trials. Whether we fail or pass the trial, we grow from them. We either learn what not to do in the future or we learn how to walk with God. And this is where Paul says, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Now, this is one of the hardest things for us to do, isn't it? To give thanks when bad things happen. Because it is so counter to what the flesh wants to do. The flesh wants to gripe and complain and, and argue with, with God and argue with ourselves and everybody around us. And God says, give thanks. Give thanks. Why? Because he's going to work it out for our good, or for good, excuse me. He's going to work everything for good. Even the bad works for good, somehow. And this has been my experience over my lifetime. Not that I'm perfect about <laughs> giving thanks for everything, but I've seen enough good happen in my lifetime from bad things that I'm starting to get better at, okay, God, I don't understand it, I don't know why, but... I'm going to know that you're in control. And this is why it's important. This is why we share, and I've said this over and over, this is why we share what God does for us with other people because it builds that faith up in people. When we see, God, yes, I watched these bad things happen and here's the good that you've done and here's the good that you've done. Here's the good. And we watch those things happen over and over and over again in our lifetime. We share with, with other people and hopefully they learn from other people's issues and start being able to say, I'm going to give thanks. I'm going to honor God. Because how often is it so easy for us just to back off from God? We go, God, I'm going to start giving you my tithes and offerings. And the next thing you know, we have a hard time hit, financial time hit us. And we go, okay, now maybe I can't give you, give you this. And God is saying, well, you said you were going to. <laughs> and we go through this trial. Are we going to step forward or not? Are we going to learn to love people even when they're hard to love. And I can tell you, this is a very difficult thing to do. When you get somebody who's very hard to love and, you're, and everything in you says, I don't like this person, I don't want to be around them, I, you know, and, and God is saying, well, I'm teaching you to love. I'm teaching you to love. And we're going, I don't know about this. <laughs> I don't know about this, God. Uh, this person is just a little too hard to love. And God's saying, well, this is the test. <laughs> This is the test I'm giving you. Learning to have patience when everything seems to be going wrong. And, it's, and you're looking at, okay, God, you've promised everything's for my good, but I sure don't understand this. And that's been my talk, talk with God a lot of times. 
God, I don't understand. You say it's for good. I don't understand how this could be for good, but you've said it is, so I'm just going to sit back. And then you watch him bring good from it. And this is something that has been something to learn. And we sit down and God says that we are to trust in him, not our own understanding. In Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not into your own understanding and in all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct our paths. How hard is it sometimes to sit back and let him direct the path when we look at something and go, God, I just don't know what to do. I don't know which, which way to go. Now, sometimes those decisions are very easy because you know one's, one's right or one's wrong. Other times when there's no right or wrong, it's like, okay, God, I'm waiting. I'm waiting for you to show me. And those are the very hard decisions. And we go, God, what do you want to do? And we learn to be patience, patient. And it talks about Job. And we think about what Job went through. Job lost everything but his life and his wife. He lost the respect of the people who thought he was so good because of how much he was blessed. He lost all of his wealth. He lost his health. And yet he kept honoring God. We hear in his voice he didn't understand it and he wanted to understand it. You know, his answers, answers back. But at the very end, God blessed him greatly. And we see that great blessing. Why? Because God is going to stand up at the end of this. And even if we fail the test, God is still gracious because he lifts us back up and says, okay, do better next time. <laughs> do better next time. And we pass the test. We get the pat on the back and say, good job. You were a good witness on the, in, the, in the heavenlies and go forward. But we are going to be able to be blessed of God either way. Because God is full of mercy. And we need to really understand the mercy of God. How many times do we deserve punishment and retribution for what we do? And how many times has God said, I'm going to hold it back? Or I'm going to hold part of it back and you're not going to get as much as you deserve. We see somebody like David who commits adultery and murder, both of them capital offenses, and God doesn't have him executed. We see Moses, who was a murderer, not having being, being executed. We see God oftentimes taking these people and saying, I'm going to use you in spite of what you've done, and redeeming them and elevating them. And it's just amazing to me how many times God uses people who don't deserve to be used. And we've all probably been there at times when we look and say, God, I just, I'm so surprised that you use me to do whatever it is he's used you to do. Just being able to help in a church and support a church is a great blessing that God allows us to do. And we don't even deserve that blessing at, at, from God. And he's saying he's full of mercy. And, and this word pitiful is really not the great, but it's, he's kind. He's kind is what it means. He wants to show kindness to us. Verse 12 says, But above all things, my brethren, swear not, neither by heaven nor by earth, neither by any other oath, but let your yea be yea and your nay be yea, lest you fall into condemnation. And what he's saying here is that we're to be honest enough that when we say something, people 
know it. We don't have to swear, well, I swear to God or I swear by the you know, Bible. We should be able to just say, if I say something, you can count on it. And, you know, it used to be that way in America anyway, that you could just, you, you, if you said something, you were expected to be, you know, a man or woman of your word. If you said you were going to do it, you, people would expect it to be done. If you said you would do a job, you would do it. And in our, in our day and age, you better have a contract and it better have a good, your lawyer better be le- better than their lawyer because they're going to twist every word of the contract. Here he's saying that honesty is so important. When you say something, you accomplish it. And this is something that I've worked in my lifetime trying very hard to keep, is if I say I'm going to do something, I, to the very best of my ability, it's going to be done. And there's times when I've made, made promises to, something, to do something, and I'm going, well, I can't do something else I want to do because I've got this that I have to get done. I said I was going to do this, so it's going to be done. And this is very important because this is not a one-time statement on this. God has said this before. We speak and, we, and, we, and we're to act. And it goes right back to the Ten Commandments. You know, don't bear false witness. Don't, you know, and where it says, you know, that we're to tell the truth. We're to be able to, people are to be able to count on us. What are we going to do? What are we going to say? And then it says, otherwise you will fall into condemnation. We ruin our testimony if we're not going to be honest. We ruin our testimony if we don't fulfill what we say we're going to do and do what we're doing because people will look at us and we know exactly how that goes and we've probably all heard these kind of comments. What kind of Christian is this person? Hopefully it hasn't been attacked to us. (laughs) What kind of Christian are you? Uh, You know, you said you were going to do this or you said this or you did this or you spoke like this. And this becomes an attack that a lot of people will put on us. And this is one of the reasons that this honest walk is so important. And this has been James's talk all along. Do your works show that you are a Christian? Do your works say match your testimony? And he's not saying that we can be perfect because we can't be. But this is something we hear and see frequently when people go out, they do drugs and, and zone out on drugs or they get drunk and people look at them and go, well, I thought you were a Christian. What are you, you're, not, you're no different than I am. And this is something that is critical for us. Are we living to the, you know, through the Spirit as well as we can a Christian-like life? Because the name Christian literally means a Christ follower. So we should be becoming more like Christ. And people look at us, and unfortunately, we've talked about this, the world has an over-exaggerated sense of what a Christian is supposed to be. But, you know, they do have an expectation that there's something, in some ways, we're going to be different. That we're not going to be like they are. Now, they, like I say, they get a little overboard, and we've all seen that. You know, well, well you told a single lie in, you know, over the last uh, year that I've known you, and you're, what kind of Christian are you? It's, but you are also not perfect. They, they can take it way too far and expect us to be perfect, and that's not going to happen. But are we living a life that invites the criticism, or is it just our, a rare occasion that we are living a life that brings that criticism? And we need to be looking at that. If I am living in a sin that draws people to say, you know, well, what, who are you? You know, what, you're, you're just like me. I've got a problem. But if I 
once in a while fall and that's going to be what happens, then it's not the problem. And this is when we see this in another book where it says, no homosexual or murderer or liar or adulterer will enter into the kingdom of heaven. In the Greek, it means somebody who continually does that lifestyle. Not that they fell one time, not that they fell you know, just one time, okay, that's it, you're, you don't go, but somebody who lives in a sinful lifestyle and continues in that lifestyle without conviction has to look at their life and say, do I know God? Do I know God? If you can walk in a known lifestyle that is sin without conviction, then you have to look and say, what's going on in my life? Because if you're walking with God, he's going to convict. He's going to convict. Now, you may walk in that lifestyle so long that you push that conviction down and, and barely notice it anymore. But even then, you've got to start looking. Why can you sin without conviction? And I can tell you, when I sin, I usually get convicted pretty heavily, especially on anything that I know is a sin. Now, I'm not, and sometimes we do things that, we're, that at the time we don't consider sin. And but God has worked in my life, and there's things in my life that, are, that he's told me are sin, that probably aren't sin for everybody. Verse 13, is, there, is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is any merry? Let him sing psalms. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he has committed any sins, they shall be forgiven. So here he's talking about actual practical things. He goes, if you're afflicted, are you suffering anything? He's saying, are you having hard time? He says, pray. And we've talked about this. How many times do we go around and we're having a hard time and we work on trying to get it fixed? We work on trying to get it fixed. And then what do we usually say? I've tried everything else. I might as well pray. And here he's saying, you're afflicted. Forget the everything else. <laughs> pray. Now that doesn't mean we don't try to fix it after we've prayed, but God wants us to be pray first. Pray for everything. And this is something we've got to get into our mind, that we're to be praying. God wants to help us in the littlest problems that we have and saying, giving us insight. If we bring him in at the beginning of the problem, things are going to go a lot smoother. Because usually when we pray, we get the answer anyway. But if we start praying early on, early on we pray for these things. And we give him thanks and we say, God, thank you for giving me these answers. Thank you for helping me. And we see the miracles that God wants to put into our life. Too often we tend to walk in the flesh, walk in our, walk in our, our ways and our understanding and kind of push God back in the corner and say, God, you know, when, when, when I need you, I'll come, and, I'll come and ask for your help. And the amazing thing is even though we do that to God is how many times he actually just steps forward and helps us anyway. You know, if it was me and somebody kept pushing me aside the way we push God, I'm going, okay, well, you thought you could do it yourself. You go ahead and do it. I'm just going to stay over here in the corner where you wanted me. But that's not the way God treats us. Because of the way he loves us and how kind he is, even though we push him away, he still is right there when we turn around. And he doesn't say, oh, it's about time or finally. He just comes in and says, here's your answer. 
and he works on that answer. But here, James is saying, are you afflicted? Are you in trial? Pray. Pray and ask God for the answer. And this goes against our flesh. It goes against us because we don't see that everything is really spiritual. This is something we have to become very convinced about. Everything that goes on in our life is spiritual because it involves God. We're his children. So it is a spiritual issue. Adam and Eve gave up, gave up paradise by sinning and made things hard for us. But everything in life becomes a spiritual issue. And this is one of the things I've said. I am thoroughly convinced that when we stand before God and he shows us our life, and he, I believe he's going to show us from the spiritual side of things, we're going to start understanding how much of these little things that we thought were little were actually pretty big things in the spiritual world. And how many times have you received a great blessing just because you made the right decision and a very little decision for God? You made this decision for him, with him, you prayed about it, and you see the blessing. And I think there's more blessings than we're ever going to understand. That God says these little things, these, these things you thought were so little. How many times have you talked to somebody and they said, what really convinced them about somebody to become a Christian was watching somebody else's life. I've talked to a lot of people who says, well, yeah, I accepted Christ, but it was because of this person. And if you, took, if you talked to that person, that person oftentimes didn't even know that they were being watched. They weren't, they weren't even aware that they were being an example of righteousness to this person. And this is something I have seen over and over again where people said, well, I was watching you and it just blessed me the way you did <laughs> whatever it might be. And usually you were just living your life. You know, you weren't even thinking about serving God at the time. You were just doing things for him. You were helping people. You were just being obedient to God. You went to church every Sunday and the people watched you and said, wow, this person really is seeking and serving God. They're there. They go. You know, with many of my neighbors, all my neighbors will know that I go to church because all they're going to do is watch me. <laughs> you know, they're going to watch me and they're going to know when I go to church which is not good for those who might be wanting to rob my house, but, it's, but my neighbors will know when I'm there because I do the same thing. I go to church. I'm carrying my Bible. We're, we're going along. We talk to them. We share things with them. But are these the little things? And we, sometimes the little things we do for God are going to get us great blessing when we get to heaven. And God says, this person watched you. This person watched you. Our children watch us which can be good or bad, depending on what kind of life we're living. And our neighbors are watching us, and the people at work watch us. And people are saying, this is who, I want to be like this person. I want, they've got something I want. We, we give the gifts to the church, and the God uses them, and, and we're going to be touching lives that we, that we don't even ever are aware of. And I've shared with the church, and I mean, all the people that listen to us on the Internet, I get the pleasure of being the one who talks, but everybody is the one that gives the money to keep the internet going and, and, and moving forward. And there's a blessing that's going to be part of everybody's life who gives to the church for that. The things that get done around the church, the little things that get done, some things that people don't even know what they are, are going to be blessed. And all because people watch. He says, if you're, if you're merry or you're happy, it goes, let them sing psalms. God is looking for that rejoicing. 
when you're happy. I, I love to sing with, to God. I, I think about singing to God quite often. I, I will sing in the car. I will sing sometimes just because I'm wanting just to praise God. Sometimes I sing because I want to refocus my mind on God. And I love to just make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Psalm 100, make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all you earth. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Make a loud noise with re and rejoicing. And then he goes into the instruments that he uses. But God is saying, rejoice. One of the things God, I think, takes pleasure in is us rejoicing and giving him praise because he's, he is the one that gives us the heart of blessing and the happiness and joy. And so he's saying, if you're, if you're afflicted, pray. If you're happy, sing. If there's any sick, let them call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with the oil in the name of the Lord. Healing. If people are sick, it says call on, call on the elders. Call on those in the church to come and pray. I've had this happen many times in the past. You know, when somebody says, I just need to be, I, I need prayer. And I'm more than happy to pray for people. And I've seen a lot of healings of people over the years. I, I, we prayed for one man at College Park, and he was on the heart transplant list. He was actually in the, in the top 100, but he was really sick and dying. We prayed for him. That Sunday, we prayed for him, I think it was Thursday, and he came in on Sunday running up and down the aisles because God had healed him. And he was taken off the heart transplant list. And these are the things God can do if we have enough, just the desire to pray. And I've seen it happen. And I've had it happen. I've, I've prayed for people that are in the midst of asthma attacks and had their asthma attacks stop. I've seen all kinds of things happen through prayer. And I know that God is powerful and I know that he heals. And I know that he still heals in spite of what some churches want to tell us. My God hasn't changed. He still wants to heal people. He still wants to do everything he's always done and will. So he says, if you're sick, ask for prayer. And this is important that we have people who will ask for prayer and we anoint with the oil and we pray in the name of Jesus. And remember, we've talked about what name means. You know, it's not just using his name or, you know, it is all the power and authority and reputation that's behind his name, which is why it's important for us to live in a testimony that lifts his name up. Because in, and we're told we are ambassadors for Christ. We are ones that represent him to this world. And we think about this. We live in a world that's not our home. All right? We are ambassadors. Heaven is our home. Now, it's a home we haven't seen yet, but this world is not our home, and we should never be completely comfortable in this world because this is not our home. And we represent God. I was listening to a on the radio last night, and they were talking about this guy in one of the communist countries who has on, on his front of his uh, door uh, uh, heaven's embassy. <laughs> and he considers his home an embassy for God. And he treats it as if it's an embassy. And if you know anything about embassies, you know, if you have an embassy on a foreign territory, as soon as you enter into the gated part of that, that house, you have entered into the foreign country. All right. So in a, if you are overseas and you walk into the American embassy, you have stepped, as soon as you step through the gate, you are on American soil. And it's considered American soil. The, the laws of America all of a sudden apply and everything is American. 
Same thing if you go to where embassies are in this country for foreign countries. If you go into that country's embassy, you have entered into a new country. Do we treat our, our lives like that, that we are representing God and that we live in a place that is basically supposed to be heaven? There used to be that mentality toward churches. Churches used to be considered, basically, you've stepped into God's kingdom. That's why they are, in America they're not taxed. In most of Europe they're not taxed because they were treated as God's possession. And so, you know, you didn't just ride in, and this is where the, especially the Catholics got into this sanctuary. If you made it into the church, you couldn't be drug out by the, by the, uh, by the authorities. You were, you were safe because you had left the country that you, had, that you were running from and entered into God's kingdom. Now, we don't have all of that in America, but there, was that, there used to be that mentality. Even in our country, there was this mentality that the church was neutral. It was, not, it was not technically a refuge place, but at the same time, it was some place you had to be invited into. You couldn't just charge into. And here he, here he is with this, are we living in the name of God, the reputation? And then it says, the prayer of faith shall save the sick and the Lord shall raise him up and if he has committed any sin, he shall be forgiven. If they seek that healing, and this healing is much more than just physical always. It can be spiritual. It can be emotional. But it says God will heal. And like I said, I've seen the healing so many times. And if somebody is seeking healing and, it's, and their sickness is because of sin, God says their sins can be forgiven. Why? Because of the blood of Christ. And they're seeking to come in and confess. Very important that we keep this in mind. God, his power and his forgiveness is there and he wants to heal. And this is something we've got to understand. God wants to heal. He wants to show his great blessing. We see it all through. I mean, you look through the book of Acts and they're healing people every time they turn around. Jesus walked around healing people. And I do not believe, and I've heard many pastors say that Jesus healed everybody that he came in contact with, and I don't think that's a true statement. Uh, he healed lots of people. He healed many people, but I don't believe that he healed everybody because you've got the man in, in Acts 3 who was at the gate beautiful that Peter and John prayed for that got healed. Okay? Jesus would have gone through the gate beautiful and it says the man was 30 years old and had been there, every, went there every day. Jesus walked past that man several times because I can't believe he never walked through gate beautiful at the temple. All right. Um, so Jesus didn't heal every single person. Otherwise, there'd have been no sick people in all of Israel. But he healed lots of people. He showed God's power. And God is saying he wants to heal. Anybody who seeks healing for, for is, from me is going to be prayed for. And I'm going to expect them to get healed because God wants to heal. He wants to heal them. Does it mean every single person I've ever prayed for has been healed? No. <laughs> I've had lots of answers of prayers and I've had some that have not been answered. It's all up to God. All I can do is pray because it's his power. I'm not saying I have the gift of healing. I just know that God can heal if I, when we pray. And we need to have that confidence and just pray. This person needs healed, we pray for them. They want, they want healing, we pray for them. And we look for the, all of these things to, to happen. 
and it says in verse 16, Confess your faults one to another, pray one for another that you may be healed. The effectual fervent of the righteous man avails much. And this healing is very much a spiritual healing that's talking about. When we have faults, God is encouraging us to share them with other Christians. Now, having said that, I don't recommend that we stand up in the middle of a church service and confess all of our faults to every single person that's sitting in that room. Because there are some people, number one, that aren't brothers and sisters in Christ. And there's some that are just gossips that would love to tell all your problems to, you know, to everybody. But we need somebody or a couple of people that we can share our problems with and our, and our faults with so that we can have somebody praying for us and holding us accountable. And this is something that's very important in our life that we sit back and say, this is the person who knows me. And the great thing about having somebody like that in your life, when they still love you and they know all about your problems, it's a great re reward to you to know that they're loving you like God loves you. And I have a couple people, they know, they know my problems. They know, they know the sins that I have trouble with. And you know what? They still love me and they pray for me. And we need people like that in our life that we can just feel comfortable sharing with and knowing that it's not going to go beyond them. The guys that I share my, my faults with, I know that they're keeping it just to themselves and they're lifting me up in prayer. They didn't tell their wives even, you know, and, and I didn't tell my wife what they told me. It's just the three of us that would hold together and say, this is, this is who I am. And be able to pray one for another. And the idea that somebody is praying for you, or at least willing to pray for you once in a while, is so important to know that they care enough and that they're going to pray, and eventually spiritual healing occurs. Because when they're, they're lifting you up, Satan can't come along and, and say, well, I know who you really are and nobody else does. If you have a hidden sin, he, do, he uses that against you all the time. When we have something in our life and it's like if it came out to light, somebody would be hurt or I would be hurt or God's testimony would be hurt, Satan loves to be able to use that and say, well, they really knew who you were. Nobody would love you. And he uses that accusation to a lot of people. They really knew what you do on your, on your spare time. Yeah, they really knew who you were. And we, this is why we bring it to the light. We bring it to the light to somebody. Because Jesus said that, our, that their sins are not going to be kept secret. He goes, if you think it's a secret sin, he'll have it shouted off the, the rooftops. And we see this sometimes when some of these mega pastors of churches or televangelists get into some sins and they won't repent and they won't repent. And then all of a sudden everybody in the country knows about their sin. We've seen several pastor televangelists over the last couple decades who fell into adulterous relationships and fornication and God says, okay, you, you know, and you know that he gave them plenty of opportunity to repent and then it's like, okay, we're telling everybody. But we see this happen with things going on and, and God is saying we need to be able to share. And again, I'm not saying we jump up in the middle of the big congregation and start sharing all of our faults. That's not what he's really saying, but we need to speak out. The, the word here is ekomologeo, which means to speak forth and agree with God. And that's confession is to agree with God. Say the same things as. 
And how many times do we say we're confessing to God, but we, we try to excuse our actions? <laughs> well, God, I told this lie, but if I had told the truth, this would have hurt somebody. You know? And God's saying, no, 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 that's not a confession. <laughs> You're excusing what you've done. You haven't said that it's a sin. And this is what God wants us to be able to do. It is a sin. And we see this happening in our world right now where, where the world is trying to make everything that happens a... That God says it's a sin and, and the world is saying, well, it's a sickness. And this is a serious issue that's going on. We have people who are drunks. And now it's like, well, I, it's not a sin of being drunk. We're calling it, you're, you're an alcoholic. You have a disease. Now, there may be a disease element of it when you've done it long enough that it's becoming a problem, but God says it's a sin. And if he says it's a sin and we're trying to excuse it as a sickness, we have a problem because we don't deal with things the same way. We're not going to deal with a sickness the same way we will deal with a sin. We're having psychologists now telling us that people are addicted to sex. It's, it's a... It's a sickness rather than a sin of adultery and fornication. And we see in this all over where psychology is starting to say you have sicknesses, you don't have sin. You're not a thief, you're a kleptomaniac. <laughs> you just can't help yourself. Uh, you're, you're, not a, you're, you're not a liar, you're just pathological. You just can't help yourself. You know? And we see this happening in this and Satan is working real hard to make all of what God says is sin into diseases so that it can be excused. And if we make it a disease and we're trying to make excuses, we will never deal with it as a sin. And this is very important, and we're seeing this happen all over the place. And we're seeing all kinds of people who use these as excuses. Well, I just have this sickness, so I can't help myself. You know, the, I got a doctor supposedly trying to help me with this, but you know, well, let's call it a sin and ask God to take your sin away from you, and you'll probably be very successful. Where the doctor won't be. Now, am I saying there's no element of sickness in these things if you do them long enough? No, there might be elements of sickness if you do something long enough. If, you, if you're drinking or doing drugs long enough, you get yourself addicted, and all of a sudden you now have physiological and, socio, and, uh, physio, uh, physiological and, and psychological issues with it. But it started out as a sin, and you did it often enough to make it into other problems. Homosexuality went through all of these stages. It used to be a sin, then it became a sickness, and now it's becoming a normal behavior. And this is where Satan is trying to take all of these things. He takes them from sickness, uh, from, from sin, to a disease and sickness. To, well, it's just normal behavior. And we have to be careful. We have to get into God's word and say, sin is sin. I don't care if everybody else is going to say it's sickness. Sin is sin. It needs to be confessed that it is sin and have people praying for me for deliverance. Because we're not going to get by it with until we can call it a sin. And if we treat it as sin, we're trusting in God for the victory. As opposed to, well, just can't help myself, it's no big deal. <laughs> and if we try to do that kind of excusing, we're going to fail. Every time. Because we're not acknowledging what it is. And that's very important. Verse 17, Elijah was a man subject to like passions as we, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it rained not on the earth for the space of three, and a half, uh, three, uh, three years and six months, or three and a half years. He prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. 
And this is a wonderful story, Elijah. You know, just a normal man as far as it goes. Yes, he was a prophet. He spoke with God. But he went to the king and he said, it's not going to rain until I say so. Now, that's pretty bold. <laughs> and God held back the rain. For three and a half years, it didn't rain in Israel. Now, that's a long time, even in a desert, to have no rain. And if you read, if you read, into, in, read that story, it talks, many of the stories talk about all these things that went on because of no rain and how hard it was on people and how people, as you would expect, started suffering from famine because no rain means no crops or very little crops because you can only take so much water from the rivers as the rivers start dwindling because there's no rain. Same thing we're seeing in America on the west in the southwest, you know, so little rain that our rivers are are getting, you know, depleted. And but in his case, three and a half years. And the point of this is that any of us that want to pray in God's name can have miracles happen. And this was a miracle. I mean, I'm sure that uh, Ahab did not believe when Elijah said there would be no rain because he, because he was praying for no rain, did not expect there to be no rain. Because how many people would you expect? Well, come up to you, it's not going to rain for three and a half years until I say it's going to rain. You wouldn't believe them. And that's what his point is. Elijah is just like us. He had enough faith that God would honor this prayer. It's not going to rain. And it didn't rain. And then when you read about him praying for rain, it's kind of, an, you know, it's, if you remember the story, he goes out and he goes, he starts praying, he sends his, sends his servant out, go look, go look at the sky, and he comes back, nope, no clouds. He sends, prays again, goes out and looks, no clouds. Goes back and prays again, and his servant looks and goes, there's a small cloud out on the horizon. And Elijah stopped praying. It was like, okay, that's all I need. It's not a very big cloud. It's not even a rain cloud, but... God's brought the cloud. And, and then he ran to, to Ahab and said, it's going to rain. And he was barely done speaking, and, it, and, it, and the rains came. So God says, we need to have that faith. and Because Elijah's lifted up to being one of the great prophets of Israel, and God said he was just a person like us. And one time he runs away from the enemy and runs for for. 150 miles and hides, and God finally asks him, what are you doing down here? You're, not, you're supposed to be up there. He runs down and starts hiding, and God says, you're going, go back to where you're supposed to be. And he had to go back. He, he wasted several days on, on travel that he wasn't supposed to do. So he was just like us. He had the same fears, the same problems, and yet he had a boldness that God gave him. How bold are we for God? Are we willing to take a stand for God and say, this is, this is what God says. This is what God wants us to do. This is how we're going to stand up. And this is why he uses him. He prayed and the heavens gave rain and the heavens brought forth their, the, their things. Brethren, if any of you err from the truth and, and one convert him, let him know that he which converts the sinner from the error of his ways shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. And I kind of like this, brethren, if any of you err from the truth, it should be when, when, not if, because we all know we're going to. 
We're all going to sin. And when we find somebody who has sinned in our midst, in our church, we need to go to that person and say, you know, God really still loves you. I'm praying for you. I'm very concerned for you. And I've said this over and over. If we're praying for somebody, we have the right to go to them and share with them that we're concerned about what they're doing. But don't go up to anybody when you haven't been praying for them. Because you don't lo- if you don't love them enough to be praying for them, you don't love them enough to go, go tell them that they're erring. But it's very important when you see somebody and you're praying for somebody and, they, and you watch them making some bad decisions, you go up to them and say, I'm really I've been praying for you because I've been watching you and, you've been, and I've noticed you've been doing this and this. I really encourage you to help correct it because that will save and convert somebody if it's done in love. If you can't do it in love, don't do it. <laughs> if all you want to do is attack somebody and be critical of somebody, don't get involved in their life because you're not going to come in with the right spirit. But when you can come in with that love and that I am just so burdened for what I'm seeing, the direction you're going in, then you can be able to say to that person, you need, I'm, I'm helping you, I want to help you. And you're going to be available to help them. When they've asked for, you know, they've confessed what their problems are and, you know, to, and you just pray for them. You pray for them. And then you might even ask, you know, how are you doing in this area? You shared this with me that you're having this problem. How are you doing with this, with this issue? You know, you shared with me that you have problems talking about people behind their back. How is it, how is it going? Are you getting, are you being victorious in that? And you know what? The last thing you want to do is have somebody do that to you, but at the same time, it holds you accountable. We're supposed to, of course, be accountable to God, but sometimes it's hard to be accountable to God who we sometimes forget is watching us all the time. And I've heard people say something as silly as, well, if my mom or dad were here, I wouldn't do this. You know, or especially mom. If mom was watching me, there's no way I would do this. Then why are you doing it? <laughs> you know, if it's not good for mom, it's definitely not for good for God. Why would you be doing it? And this is where this whole accountability comes from, this expressing and confessing one to another and having somebody be able to hold you accountable and say, well, you've been sharing with me that you wanted to stop whatever it might be you're stopping. Uh, you wanted to not talk about people behind their back or, or you wanted to quit this relationship. How are you doing? And we love them and we pray for them. And we were able to come to their life. And this is the body of Christ coming together. It doesn't mean we attack each other and, and, and every time we see somebody do something wrong, we, we got our finger in their face, you know, you know, because that is not what we want. It is love. God loves us and then we love one another so much so that we want to see them be a good example of Christ. And we pray for them and we lift them up and we pray one for another and we keep each other accountable. But again, it starts with that prayer and that love. If you don't love somebody enough to pray for them, then you really don't have a right to say anything to them about their life. And this is critical. This is a critical place to understand because it says that they converts the sinner from the error of their way, shall save the soul from death, and hide a multitude of sins. When we know somebody's sin, we pray for them. We'll talk to them. But we don't go around blabbing it to everybody else. (laughs) Sin is to be placed under the blood and not be a source of attack. 
And how many times do we want to talk about other people's problems? And God, if you want to, if you want to talk about other people's problems to people, God will start exposing yours. <laughs> and we all have plenty of problems that we don't want to have exposed, so we don't want to be talking about other people's problems. But when we know about something, we pray to God and we say, God, here, please help this person. They've been really su struggling and suffering in this area. I've noticed it or they've shared it with me or whatever the reason for it, but you go to God with the issue, not anybody else. And it might be just so as simple of, well, I've noticed you've been struggling in this area. I've been praying for you. You know, how great would that be for somebody just to say, I'm, I'm praying for you. I've noticed this area in your life and I'm praying for you. And that's the wonder of the power of prayer, the wonder and power of the body. When the body gets injured, it sends blood cells to the, to the, to the injury and heals that injury. And that's the way that it should be in the church body, in the church. Individuals come to the person who's suffering, not to criticize them, not to attack them, but with love and saying, I'm praying for you. I'm really concerned and I'm praying for you. And that is what the value of the church body is all about. That we work with one another, not in a condemnation, not in a critical way, but we love one another enough to pray and encourage and build up. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for this message. Help us to learn to be loving to one another, that we learn to follow you and build you up. And we just thank you in your son's name. Amen.